Alright, good afternoon everyone. Good afternoon. If you have your Bibles, please uh, turn and keep to Luke chapter 24. And we will look at this passage here together. Luke 24. Actually, uh, before we turn to Luke 24, if you could turn to John chapter 19. John chapter 19. And we're going to look at the death of Jesus Christ. For there to be a resurrection of Jesus, there's got to be a death of Jesus. With no death, there's no resurrection. And so where there were heresies that were taught early in the early church about Jesus not really having died, or there are cults out there that teach that Jesus was actually not in the flesh. He was just a spirit that had an ability to appear in the flesh and go back to being a spirit, going go to the flesh, being the spirit. Or people uh, would teach that Jesus, when he resurrected, he actually wasn't resurrected in the physical body. He was uh, just a spirit, like a ghost that will appear. And that's why he was able to disappear from the two guys that were on the road to Emmaus. And he was able to walk through walls and appear to his disciples, surprisingly, in their room, which we're about to look at here in Luke 24. But before we do that, we got to look at the death of Jesus because we have to verify that Jesus' death was 100% real. Here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus was a real man. I know that we teach that he's God, but we have to understand that Jesus, when he was on earth, he was 100% human flesh. That means he had to eat, he had to go to the restroom, he had to sleep, although it looked like he didn't sleep much because he prayed all the time, but he slept. He was 100% man. It's not like he was about 70% God, 30% man. No, his complete nature was he was a man. That means if Jesus is 100% man, that means he's 100% knockoutable. He is whippable. He is torturable. He is killable. He is dieable. Now, I know I just made up all those words. But it's important for us to understand that Jesus was 100% man, at the same time, 100% God. Alright, and so let's look at the death of Jesus here at John chapter 19. Please, if you have your Bibles with you, please turn there with me. John chapter 19, verse 28. I'm going to read from verse 28. After this, Jesus is hanging on the cross at this time. Jesus, knowing that all was now finished and to fulfill the scripture he said i thirst a jar full of sour wine stood there so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and then held it to his mouth when jesus had received the sour wine he said it is finished and he bowed his head and gave up his spirit now this is kind of a little bit of an odd portion of Jesus' crucifixion. It's almost like somebody that's about to get shot in, a, in an execution style or about to get hanged. And they're like, you know, do you have any last requests? And they're like, yeah, 
I want a shot of whiskey. Or yeah, I want a cigarette or something like that. And Jesus seems like he's taking a little, uh, little sip of wine before he dies. But this is uh, nothing to do with that. All right, this is to fulfill scripture. There's something very important about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Everything that Jesus did, he did it in alignment with prophecies that were made about him all throughout the scriptures. I know that we have portions of the Old Testament called the prophets, but prophecy is not just found in the prophets. Prophecy is found in the first five books of the Bible called the law. In the law... And I'm just, I'm not talking about Genesis. I'm talking about in the law where there is the giving of the law and there's detailed and meticulous details about the law. And within the giving of the law, that's all pointing to Jesus. Even within the Psalms, song lyrics, what looks like poetry, when we read it, it looks like poetry. It looks like nice song lyrics about God. But what you will find as you read the New Testament is, a lot of the Psalms actually pointed to Jesus Christ. So everywhere in the Old Testament, it talks about Jesus. And even this little little thing that he did on the cross right before he died, drinking this little bit of sour wine, it probably didn't even taste that good. Jesus did it in alignment with all the prophetic words that were made about him. Right, let's keep reading here. Verse 31. Since it was a day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, uh, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and then of the other who had been crucified with him. If you guys have watched any good movie about Jesus, you know that Jesus did not get crucified alone. He had a little bit of company. There are two criminals side next to him that got crucified with him. And at, at this point... They wanted, you know, and, and, you know, crucifixion, you know, I know that a lot of times we, we talk about the cross, wearing the cross on our neck is a little bizarre. Our modern equivalent of wearing a cross around our neck, a lot of speakers will say, is the electric chair. Who would in, who would in their good mind wear an electric chair around our neck as fashion, but Christians seem to have no problem with it. And, you know, they're just trying to make a point and say the cross is actually a form of punishment and execution but actually technically crucifixion didn't kill you unless you were hung, hung there for a really 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 long time crucifixion didn't kill you most of the time crucifixion didn't kill you crucifixion was a form of torture it was a public spectacle so that whatever they did nobody else would do and a lot of times, getting nailed in your hands, nailed in your feet, it didn't kill you. You just hung there, humiliated. Sometimes completely naked. Bleeding. But you're up there hanging so long, the blood stops flowing and it starts to crust up. And you're just hanging up there and you're still alive. And here in the Gospel of John, they come up to the two criminals crucified with Jesus. By the time they come up to him in order to... Before the Sabbath day starts, they wanted to, you know, keep the Sabbath day holy. So they wanted these bodies to be taken down. But before they took them down alive, they wanted them dead. So what did they do to kill these two, two criminals? Because they were still alive on the cross. What did they do? The Bible says here, the soldiers came, verse 32, and they broke the legs of the first and of the other. Now let me ask you a question. 
If somebody breaks their legs, do you die right away? No, right? The reason why they would break the legs of anybody on the cross was the primary means that a person who was crucified, primary means in which they supported their body weight in order to breathe was their legs. It actually wasn't their hands or as some preachers used to preach, Jesus was probably nailed on his wrists. I don't believe that. I believe he was nailed on his hands. Because I, I don't think the, the Romans were, you know, anyway, anyway, that's a long story. I got into that hill, so I don't want to get onto that. All right. I believe he was nailed in his hands. It didn't necessarily have to be his wrists. It was his hands, and the primary weight that he would use to breathe was his feet. So when you break your legs, all right, you can't breathe no more. Within a few minutes, you suffocate, and you die. This is what happened to the other two criminals. Soldiers come, break the legs, they die within a few minutes. Verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. They're like, hey, I think he's dead. They're like, hey, check. No, he's dead. Or how can we verify that he's actually dead? We don't want to take him down and then, you know, all of a sudden he's still alive. Well, how can we verify he's dead? And verse 30. Four tells us one of the soldiers took a spear and pierced his side. Okay. And at once there was, there came out blood and water. Blood and water. Now, if I took a spear right now and I pierced Zach's side, what will come out of Zach's side? Blood and a lot of it. There will just be blood and more blood. Okay, there you will not see water coming out of Zach's side. Why was water and blood separately spilling out of Jesus' side? Because he was already dead and his heart was no longer beating. And when your heart's not beating, the blood and the liquids that go through your bloodstream, they don't mix anymore. And so when you get pierced and you start to bleed, you can see a clear separation between blood and and water. Anyone here work at a mortuary or something? Can verify this? <laughs> I've never pierced a dead body on the side, so I, I can't really. But that's what I've read in my research, right? That's, and so it was a way to verify that Jesus was indeed dead. So when they pierced him, it, was, it wasn't like, you know, it was to simply verify that Jesus was indeed dead. Jesus didn't faint and wake up later. Jesus was dead. The Apostles' Creed, we recite, we say, He was crucified, died, and was buried. Do you know why they use the word died instead of the word dead a lot of times? Apostles' Creed, they're very technical. The reason why they would say, say died rather than dead, they insist you say died usually when you do English translation of the Apostles' Creed, is because it's to say that Jesus was crucified and he was dieable and indeed he died. And then he was buried. All right, and so let, we'll move on. Let's go back to Luke chapter 24, our main text here. So Jesus being killable, diable, he indeed is dead by the time they come up to crush his legs. 
Let's look at Luke chapter 24. Now, in the beginning of the chapter, it talks about how the women, they, some of the women that Jesus, uh, that followed Jesus, they took spices to go and rewrap the body of Jesus so that they can kind of preserve the body of Jesus a little longer. And they went to kind of tend to the body. And when they got to the tomb, they did not find the body of Jesus. How many of you guys know that 2,000 years later, they are still unable to find the body of Jesus? Amen? They can find the body of King Tut. And King Tut, the one, the second, the third. I don't know how many King Tuts there are. They find all these bones and remains of emperors and kings and all these famous people. But they have never been able to produce the body of Jesus. Closest thing I think they came to was a few years ago. They had um, a, a cloth that had the imprint of what looked like a bearded man. And they were like, we have found the remains of Jesus. Look at this cloth. I was like, what kind? Who? How did they even get published on newspapers for these types of, like, incredibly uncredible, (laughs) uncredible, discredible? What's what's the word I'm looking for? Not credible (laughs) evidence. Uh, Anyway, they they go and they uh, try to preserve the body, but the body's not there. They see a couple angels there. And then the angel says... In uh, Luke 24, verse 5. Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. These women, they have this encounter. They cannot find the body of Jesus. Angel tells them he's risen. And then they go back and they tell the 11 apostles and the remaining, all the disciples that are gathered and huddled together. And look at verse 11. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. They did not believe them. Isn't that a shame? Men continue to this day. They do not take the testimony of women seriously. And I think it's interesting that God had the women discover the empty tomb first. The women discover it. They come and tell all about it. And, and these men, they, they're like, what? I think they're like delusional. The, I, you know, the women, yeah. They've always been a little bit, yeah. <laughs> hey, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. All right, Mary. Okay, all right, Mary. <laughs> We know you used to be full of lots of demons too, but God delivered you. Okay, whatever, all right. And they, they, they kind of dismissed them. But Peter, he rose up and he ran to the tomb and found that it was indeed empty. Now, right after this, we have in Luke twenty four thirteen. This is Luke's account. Uh, there's different different gospels have different turn uh, different events that are mentioned. In Luke, he has an interesting story of two dudes that are walking from the city of Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. It's a seven mile journey, and they're on their way to Emmaus. And on their way to Emmaus, they encounter Jesus, but they don't know that it's him. All right, and so you guys may have known you you guys may have heard the story already. Uh, Jesus kind of just walks with them and says, Hey, what's up? Hey, y'all. 
What's going on? Why y'all look so like crazy? <laughs> and they're like, man, where you been, stranger? Look, man, we just had this dude named Jesus. He was doing all these miracles. He like fed the 5,000. He like walked on water. He like toured the storms to calm down. Man, he's an amazing man. We thought it was an amazing prophet of God, some kind, something to do with God. But then he got crucified. And then like he claimed that he would be risen again. And uh, the women went to his tomb this morning, can't find the body. So, man, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to think. And Jesus is like, groovy. Tell me more. <laughs> right? And so they, they're just walking along. And, and then Jesus starts to open up the scriptures. And he opens up uh, Moses, meaning uh, verse 30, 27. Talks about beginning with Moses and all the prophets. Let's talk about the first five books of the Bible. The law of Moses, right? It's called the Torah. It's the Pentateuch, the five, first five books. He's using the law. He's using the prophets. He had interpreted it to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning Jesus. All right? And they still don't know that this is Jesus. And then finally, they sit down to eat. And when Jesus breaks the bread, he blesses and breaks the bread and gives it to them. In that moment, their eyes were opened, the Bible says. And then they recognized him, and then he vanished from their sight. <laughs> you know, that's... Anyway, um, that's not what I want to focus on. And uh, so what these two dudes do, one, one of them is named Cleopas, and the other, we don't know what his name is. They run back to Jerusalem, and... In Jerusalem, they get back with a group that's huddled around and they start talking to them. We met Jesus on the road to Emmaus. He opened up the scripture to us. We're pretty sure it was him. I think what the women are saying is right. Listen to the women. Let's listen to the women for once. They're like, are you crazy? You lost it too. No, no, let's listen to the women. (laughs) And that's where we pick up here. Luke 24, our main text, verse 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. The irony is, when he said peace to you, there was no peace. You know, they're talking about Jesus. They're like, yeah, and they're arguing. They're like, I think, I think he is risen. I don't know what's going on, but we saw him on the road to, I'm pretty sure that was him. You crazy, man. Y'all, y'all nuts. No, no, no. It was him. It was him. Peace to you. Oh. Ah! I mean, he should have just said, boo! <laughs> Booyah! <laughs> I told you I'll come back. I'll be back. I'm back! It's me! I mean, he scared, he scared, he scared them. He scared them good. The Bible says they got scared. Look at verse 37. They were startled and frightened and thought they were, they saw a spirit. And the King James Version says they thought they saw a ghost. Right? And so, I mean, that's logical. I don't think the disciples are being illogical here. They're thinking the doors are, you know, all closed and locked. One moment we're talking among ourselves. Next moment, peace to you. <laughs> this has got to be a ghost. This can't be real. Right? And so, Jesus, knowing this, he says to them, Why are you troubled? Verse 38. Why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. What, did, did they have Jesus' fingerprints? Why is he telling them to look at his hands and feet? Right? Because 
even after he resurrected, the scars from the, from the crucifixion, God allowed it to remain on Jesus' body. So he says, look at my hands and my feet. Touch me. Look, I'm real. I'm not a ghost. Touch me and see. For a spirit, a ghost does not have flesh and blood as you see that I have. And then when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. Jesus, when he resurrected, he resurrected in the flesh. And did you know the good news is, if you read Apostle Paul's letters in 1 Corinthians, when you read Apostle Paul, his writings, did you know that you also will share in the resurrection just as Jesus did? You know, you know that it is a, it is a myth that when you die, you no longer have a body and your spirit goes to heaven and you never see your body again. That's a myth. It's a myth that when Jesus returns in power and glory and judges the nations and he takes his children into his kingdom, it is a myth that we go into that kingdom as spirit beings. That is a myth. It's not taught in the scriptures. So let me educate you a little bit if you didn't know. The resurrection Jesus experienced is a model for the resurrection we will experience. That when you, at the end of time, when you get resurrected, you get resurrected in a physical body. So can I tell you all right now? Embrace your looks. (laughs) The hair color. The height. Embrace it all because that's you. That's you. I don't know if they're going to have Pastor Sergio up in heaven. All right? But one thing I know, whatever plastic surgery you got on earth, it's all going to be gone in the twinkle of an eye. And everybody will be like, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. Wait, who are you? No, I think that's her. That's her. I knew it. The more you do, the more surprise it will be later on. But we're going to be resurrected just like Jesus was. We're going to be resurrected in a physical body. And I, and, 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 you know, I don't have much scripture to back this part up, but I believe that if we're going to have a physical body, a resurrected physical body, we're also going to have food. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine heaven without food? Having physical bodies, but not having to eat? You, some of you may be thinking food is a burden. I'm glad I got that over with. But most of us are thinking, we, I want to eat when I get to heaven. And, and here is scriptural evidence. In the Old Testament, it talks about, all right, that at, at that last day, there will be food and flowing wine. There's going to be wine up in heaven. For all the uh, people <laughs> that alcohol is straight from the devil, all right? Alcohol can be if you abuse it. All right. I mean, uh, I don't know where y'all stand with that. I'm not going to get into that. But the Bible does talk about wine flowing. And Jesus even turned water to wine. Meaning, you know, this is what Pastor Benjamin said, you know. You know, they're having this long, week-long wedding feast, week-long wedding banquet. And they start running out of wine. That's really embarrassing. You know, people, you know, they need wine to just, you know, unwind and, 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 and be themselves. It's sad. But yes, a lot of people 
for them to really be themselves, they need wine. They need alcohol. And they ran out of alcohol. And, you know, they're like, oh, no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The, the party's going to just dry up right now. And Jesus, this is Pastor Benjamin's words, said pretty much, I don't normally do this, but keep the party going. All right. <laughs> and they turned water into wine. Here's more evidence that Jesus' resurrected body was flesh and blood. Check this out, verse 47. And while they still disbelieve for joy, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> while they still disbelieve for joy, I don't know what that means, all right? I'm going to have to study the Greek later on. But uh, while they were still disbelieve for joy and were marveling, he said to them, I sure am hungry. <laughs> Y'all got anything to eat? Verse 42, and they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And if you got your footnote, look at the footnote. Some manuscripts add, and some honeycomb. <laughs> and they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honey, some honeycomb. Anybody with me? Don't you understand what's going on here? Jesus has got ghetto taste. <laughs> he knows how to mix the sweet with the Salty, you know what I mean? The closest thing I could think of fish with honeycomb is chicken and waffles. People from California, you know what I'm talking about? Roscoe's chicken and waffles. I doubted it when I first heard about it. I was like, chicken and waffles? Why would you put fried chicken with waffles and maple syrup? That just doesn't seem to mix. All right? But for people that have a lot of ghetto in them, it just works fine. All right, so I mean... I don't know. Maybe this was his favorite meal. I don't know. You know, they just, they just knew to give it to him. And the Bible says he took it and he ate it before them. And probably, I don't know if they would ever put this in the scripture. And then he went to the restroom later on. I don't know. But he was spending a good long time with them here. All right. He was resurrected. Jesus was resurrected in the flesh. And the good news is you also will share in that resurrection. I'm not sure what age you're going to be frozen in. Is it going to be 17, 18, or 28? Or maybe you get to choose. You get like multiple choice. Which age would you like your glorified body to be in? Which age did I have the most hair at? I'm not sure. I don't, I don't know how it works. But we, the good news is we get to share in that glorified body. And check this out. Check this out. They gave him a piece of broiled fish and honeycomb, and he ate it before them. Jesus ain't vegetarian. I know that doesn't sound like a big revelation, but it was a big revelation to me. Jesus ain't vegetarian. He loves meat. He loves meat. In fact, he loves seafood. Jesus loves seafood, and I want to be like Jesus, so I will also love seafood. Hallelujah. Sister Cassandra is getting that conviction right now. Um, Jesus ain't vegetarian. Look, I was going to try to do something with this title, and I tried to do something with it at Hillside, and it didn't quite work out, so I'm going to just let it go, all right? I, just, I, I, liked, I like good sermon titles, but sometimes I kind of... I kind of come up with stuff that doesn't really have anything to do with anything. All right. But it's kind of catchy. 
I hope people on the internet will download it because they're like, oh, what's this about? All right, and it doesn't have anything really to do anything. Um, <clears throat> he just, Jesus loved him some fish. And, uh, and then, he, and then he, after he has this good meal, and you got to understand, all these people that are gathered here, you know, they're just like, what the? Wow, he's here. He's real. Wow, yeah. And, and, then, and then Jesus is like, all right, that's enough of that. Let's start Bible study. We're going to have some Bible study. And so what does he do? Uh, he knew that uh, even up until this moment, even though they had seen him, their minds were not renewed yet. And so what does Jesus do? He opens up the scriptures. He starts going through the scriptures. Right? Verse 44. He said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Jesus took time to open up the scriptures and he went to the law. He went to the prophets. He went to the Psalms. And he would read maybe obscure texts from the Old Testament. And then he'll be like, that's talking about me. And they'll be like, what are you talking about, Jesus? That is, what does that have to do with you? And then he would explain and interpret it for them. And then the, their minds will be opened. You see, there was a renewing of their minds. You see, what, what Jesus was doing when he opened up the scriptures for them was he was establishing them in the truth. Because he knew that later on, within their generation, will come Gnosticism. Will come all kinds of false beliefs that will try to align themselves with Christianity, but it's actually a false form of Christianity. And so he was establishing them in truth by opening the scriptures. You know, and this is important. You know, every single one of y'all, whether you grew up in the church or not, all right, you got to... At one point or another, you got to get to the meat of God's word. If all you stay is with the milk, I'm talking about milk. You know what milk is? And milk is good. Milk does a body good. Milk is good. But if all you feed on for your spiritual walk is milk, you're not going to be established. You're going to be easily shakable. So many Christians, all they try to do their Christian walk on is on milk. And here's, here's milk. Here's an example of milk types of messages. Have your quiet time. Man, if I got a dollar for every time I heard a sermon whose main point was have more quiet time, I will be a very rich man today. I would say 84% of all sermons that I've ever heard was pretty much the same message. Have more quiet time. Now, don't get me wrong. Quiet time is good. We need to have quiet time. We need to have that. So we have to spend time and nurture our relationship with Jesus. But if that's the only thing you're getting fed, you're going to be shakable. You're not going to be established. Look at this. This is Jesus' first Bible study after his resurrection. And what does he do? He starts to go through the Old Testament. And show forth that all of that is speaking about him. And we need to do that too. Um, 
I'll do that real quick with a few, a few of these verses. Uh, if you turn to Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 12. I just want to show you from the law. This is an example from the first five books of the Bible. The law of Moses. Where it's actually talking about Jesus. It may not appear that way. You probably never caught it when you read Exodus chapter 9. But you're about to catch it right now. Exodus chapter 9 verse 11. I mean Exodus chapter 12. I'm sorry. Exodus chapter 12 verse 43 through 47. Check this out with me. 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron. This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it. After you circumcise him. No foreigner or higher servant may eat of it. It shall be taken in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. And you shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Jesus reads that. Let's say, for example, this is one of the things he read. Because he went to the law. Right? This is an example from the law. He reads that and he says, Hey, check this out, y'all. That's talking about me. And Peter's like, What? How is that? What, what, where is that talks about you, Jesus? It just talks about foreigners and uh, people getting circumcised. I don't know where, where you come up, Lord. Where is all this? Where, where, where did you come up? And he says, do you remember when I was hanging on the cross? And there were two men that were crucified with me. When they came up to their bodies, they had to shatter their legs in order to finish them off. But when they came to me, they did not break any of my bones. You see, the law, in the law, it talked about how the Passover lamb, you need to eat it and you shall not break any of its bones. Even if it's inconvenient for you to have to go out of the way, make sure that lamb's bones are not broken, you are not to break any of its bones. Do you not see that the Passover lamb is me? I am the true Passover lamb whose blood takes away the wrath of God. If you, if you don't know the story of the Exodus, right? The Jews were required to take the blood of a Passover lamb and then paint it across their doorposts. And any house that did not do that, the angel of God came through the town and just started to kill off all of the sons. Right? But wherever the angel saw the, the blood on the post, he would pass over that home. That's why it's called Passover. And Jesus is saying, by my blood, the wrath of God is now going to pass over you. I'm the Passover lamb. That's why it was required that none of my bones be broken. All right. And so that's an example of Christ being found in the law. Okay. Now, if, if we were living in today's time with modern-day academic seminarians, if, uh, if we ever try to use that technique to interpret the Old Testament, they would have a, like a, like they would have a riot. Because modern-day academic seminarians, they have a certain structure of interpretation. And something like that would just drive them nuts. They would be like, that is just completely out of context. That has nothing to do with Jesus. You know, they would say something like that. But we, we know that... Uh, is actually quoted in the Gospel of John. That's why I was able to use that example. If it wasn't quoted, they would probably give me a lot of heat about it. But here's the thing. I think there's plenty of examples in the law that are hidden there 
that God, New Testament writers never used as examples. They're all still there. Because we don't know which passages Jesus used here in Luke 24 when he went through the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. We don't know which ones he chose. He spent time with He could have chose a whole bunch of them. Right? And I'm just saying, they're still there. Whether New Testament writers point it out or not. It's abundantly there. All over the scriptures, talking about Jesus. And, and here's a funny thing. You can find Jesus. Here's a technique. If you want to find Jesus in the Old Testament, you got to take things out of context. <laughs> that sounds, I, sound, I feel bad about saying that. But that's kind of like what you have to do. You have to take things that, that, that are just like half of a verse. You take it out and, oh, that's Jesus. And it is Jesus. But when you put it into the context, you're like, oh, wait, that's talking about something else. But here's the thing. New Testament writers, that's exactly what they did. Uh, let's read another passage. Um, let's go to the prophets. Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah 12.10. Zechariah is a minor prophet. Zechariah 12.10. It says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Jesus is like, hey y'all, you see that in Zechariah? That's talking about me. And they're like, what are you talking about? Jesus, this is talking about the inhabitants of Jerusalem. This is talking about the Israelites. How does this have to do with you? And he's like, check this out. On him whom they have pierced. When they came to me and they saw that I was already dead and they, they, they didn't break my legs, you know what they did? You know what they did do? They took a spear and pierced my side. And they looked upon me whom they pierced. That passage, my friends, is talking about me. All right? And so Jesus is just opening up the law, opening up the prophets. Let's go to the Psalms. Because uh, in our reasonable logic we think that the psalms will be the last place that we find anything christological anything that has to do with christ but what you will find surprising is david was a man so filled with the spirit of god that when he was in his prayer tabernacle and ministering to god 24 7 with all the singers and and uh, all the um all the singers and all the musicians when he was there he would just get prophetic he would, the spirit of prophecy will come on him and he'll start to sing about his own, his own sufferings, his own struggles. They might have been even songs that he wrote when he was running away from King Saul. There were actually songs that he wrote when he was running around King Saul. He had them down somewhere and then he sang them when he got into the prayer tabernacle with his harp. That was the equivalent of a guitar back then. <laughs> David was like, man, must you so? You know, all the women wanted to be, you know, his wife or a concubine. You know, David should have not done that, but he did. Anyway, not that that tells us that we should. No, we shouldn't. should be one man, one wife. Adam and Eve. That's it. All right. Uh, Psalm twenty-two, eighteen. Right, check this out. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen. Let's read from there. Dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. Whoa, that sounds... Kind of crazy. What the David? What are you talking about? That sounds like Jesus. 
Well, I don't know. David experienced something where he was pierced in his hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. Verse 18. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. If you look at the beginning of the psalm, it says, A psalm of David to the choir master according to the dough of the dawn. This is a song. These are song lyrics. These are song lyrics. I cannot verify if this was out of experience that David was writing this, or if it was simply out of the spirit of prophecy. But whatever it was, Jesus turns here and says, Look, this psalm is talking about me. Don't you all understand all throughout the Old Testament scripture is pointing to me. I fulfilled it through my life, death, and resurrection. And I am about to fulfill some other stuff that I haven't touched yet. Right? And so Jesus is giving them the meat. Um, and if you guys know the crucifixion, uh, the Roman soldiers, they decided to cast lots to see who got Jesus' garment. Right. Uh, who knew, right? Who knew? Who knew? I mean, the Psalms were to the Hebrews what Hillsong is to us today. You know, we're just thinking these are songs. We sing them. We, we praise God with them. Who knew that there was so much prophecy in them? You know? But, you know, that's why I think IHOP's a little bit unique. Uh, the International House of Prayer in Kansas City. IHOP's unique because they have the similar spirit by which they established their house of prayer. They did it in the spirit of uh, spirit of the tabernacle of David, and so there they also experienced a lot of lyrics. You ever hear uh, Misty Edwards sing spontaneous lyrics? And they're uh, like they're spontaneous. I don't know if they're pre-written, but a lot of times she'll sing spontaneously, and she'll sing these amazing songs. And it's in the it's it's the very prophetic songs. You know, I can hear the sound of the lion of the tribe of Judah. I can hear the I'm getting the lyrics all wrong, but uh, IHOP has incredible song lyrics, and you actually take their song lyrics, and it's actually prophecy. They're like singing over North Korea. They're singing over America. You know, they're prophesying. And it's not unusual. We think it's unusual because we haven't experienced that in most of our Christian backgrounds, but it's not unusual to the Bible. It's not unusual to God. God's been doing this all along. And there is fresh revelation for today. Now, I'm not saying fresh revelation to add to the Bible, fresh revelation that is already under the authority of the Bible, but there is fresh revelation pertinent to your particular circumstances. God still speaks. And He speaks through Mitzi Edwards. <laughs> so that's an example from the Psalms. So I just talked about the law, the prophets, the Psalms. Took just one example from each to show you that Jesus is the common thread through it all. You know, we can't, we can't abandon the Old Testament. Old Testament's rich. We think Jesus only appears three quarters of the way into the Bible. No. We need to understand Jesus appears all throughout the Scriptures. He is the Word of God. The gospel writer John said, He, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word is God. He's talking about Jesus. And what happened was the Word became incarnate in human flesh, and His name was Jesus Christ. 
Hallelujah. Luke 24. I'm just going to close up, wrap up here. Going back to the original passage. <clears throat> yes, going back to the word that I was trying to say here is it's important for all Christians to get this kind of Bible study where you get to the meat of the word of God so that you are established in his truth. What we need to understand about this group of first believers, this group of first people that Jesus resurrected and appeared to, what we need to understand is, first of all, they already knew the Old Testament because they're Jews. They grew up reading it. A lot like maybe very similar to maybe people in here that grew up in a church. You know, we grew up reading the Bible. They were familiar with the Bible. They just didn't understand the revelations that were there. But they knew the Bible. And then Jesus comes. That's why he doesn't spend too much time like, you know, reading through the Old Testament. He knew that they were already familiar with it. And he starts opening up different sections of the Old Testament, showing them revelation about himself. And then he establishes them in that truth. And here's the cool thing. After he established them in the truth, that's when he starts to talk here in verse 47, 46. He said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ shall suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Before he tells them to go and do something, he establishes them in the word of God. And that's, that's what we need to really see going on in the church. That's what the church ministry needs to do. When people's minds are open to the word of God, we need to like sit down with them. That's why we have small groups. That's why you sit here and you allow me to preach to you for about, we're going on 50 minutes right now. Man, I've been preaching for 50 minutes. How, how, I know people who just came fresh off the plane from America. You're all like, this is the longest sermon I've ever sat through. Can I assure you that there's longer sermons? <laughs> I'll try to cut it before I hit 50 minutes here. All right. Can I do it? Hallelujah. I can. All right. Um, and then once we're established, then we can focus on what God calls us to actually practically do. Go out and, and spread the good news. But when we try to go and do, do, do before we know who we are, 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 and whose we are, before we really know the revelation and the truth of the word of God. When we go outside and actually do, we can actually get shaken up. We can get attacked and beat up by the devil. Okay. And so we get, these guys get the meat. They get established in the truth as the scriptures are opened up to them. And then God tells, Jesus tells them to go out and preach repentance and forgiveness. And then he says in verse 49, Behold I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. And stay in the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Here's the last key. For them to actually, before they even went out and proclaimed repentance and forgiveness, something else had to happen. Jesus called it the promise of my Father. For you will be clothed with power from on high. Guess who wrote the Gospel of Luke? Luke, yeah. <laughs> Guess who wrote the book of Acts? Luke wrote the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts chapter 1 and, verse, and chapter 2, Luke uses that same term, promise of the Father. 
And I want to read to you Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. While Jesus was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. Sounds very familiar to what we just read. But to wait for the promise of the Father. Sounds very familiar to what we just read. But to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Do you know what the promise of the Father is? The promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's a revelation for you. It's real simple, but let it hit you. The promise of the Father is the baptism of the Spirit. So Jesus says, John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to baptize you, not with water, but with the Holy Spirit. And once you get that experience, once you are filled with the Spirit, then it's go time. Then you can hit the cities, starting from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth, and nothing will stop you. Signs and wonders and miracles will accompany you. You will preach with boldness, which is what the, a lot of the apostles experienced. The disciples and apostles, they experienced boldness after they had the Holy Spirit come upon them. And what the gospel writer Luke lays out here is exactly what we today as Christians need to experience. We need to meet Jesus, number one. Then we need to have the scriptures opened up to us and get into the meat so that we're established in the truth of God. And then we need to be told that we, as a church, we have a mission. That's to go and proclaim forgiveness and repentance of sins. Repentance and forgiveness of sins. And then fourth, in order to accomplish it, you need the promise of the Father. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know that term is controversial. But it's not controversial in the Bible. The Bible is very clear on it. The promise of the Father is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And what they experienced back then is not a history for us to look back on. But it is a prophecy over every single Christian here today. It is what we need to experience. We need to encounter Jesus. We need to be rooted and established in his word. We need to know what a mission is. And in order to accomplish that mission, we need to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And close your eyes. Bow your heads with me right now.